0: Welcome to the Battleground, Wisconsin. My name is Matt and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And Welcome to another week from Wisconsin and uh, America. And, you know, democracy remains under attack. We are going to talk more about what's been happening at the federal level. We record Thursday morning, January 14th. So we are the day after of uh, historic second impeachment of uh, President Trump. Uh, coming off of um, you know, basically the seditious acts and the rioting of, of Congress. Want to uh, get your immediate thoughts at the panel. We're very fortunate to have our full panel with us, which means Claire Zauke is with us. Claire is our healthcare director. Claire, welcome.
1: Thank you, Matt, good to be here.
0: And Robert Craig, executive director. Uh, greetings to
2: our digital and radio audience.
0: So, you guys, just insanely historic week. What, what I want to get your immediate comment on is, is the impeachment, right? And we, we did have 10 House Republicans support impeachment, which is certainly markedly different than the first impeachment. But uh, still, large amounts of Republicans uh, not supporting impeachment. Claire? your thoughts on this historic week and uh, the second impeachment of President Trump.
1: I think it was really important that Congress move forward with impeachment, even though there's only a week left on uh, President Trump's term. So first of all, can we get a, a little moment of happiness that we're down to single digits in President Trump's uh, term? That's pretty exciting. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it was important that they move forward with it. Um, and that they did so relatively swiftly. Um, I think the debate between um, the two sides that happened in the House um, on Wednesday was really telling uh, as far as, I think how we can expect to see Republicans in Congress thinking moving forward and, and to see if President Trump's hold on the Republican Party has loosened at all. Um, so uh, in, in general, I thought the proceedings were interesting yesterday. Um, I, I, this is like a very subdued commentary. I'm glad it happened. Trump needed to be impeached. I think none of this is a surprise to any of our listeners.
2: Robert. Yeah, I think we, we do have to remain centered on the seriousness of the situation So I think it's an attack on America, because what could be more fundamental to America than being a republic? Okay. And it is an attack on that. And it shows how dangerous the attack is that nearly 200 Republicans refuse to impeach when you're inciting insurrection, which was what this was. In the debate, obviously, the Democrats stood up and 10 Republicans, very courageous, stood up. And it's important to understand why what they did is courageous. Uh, their lives are being threatened and their families are being threatened. And a number of Democrats are saying that they are Republicans who would have voted for impeachment and would have in a secret ballot, but are too afraid, physically. Then there's another group that's afraid for their political career. And I'm not very, um, uh, I don't care about them. I care about the ones that actually are fearful. And this puts the lie to where violence comes from in our country. And uh, we've talked about this on Battleground Wisconsin, it's almost all from the far right. And the whole Antifa thing and Black Lives Matter thing is a big lie. Uh, So, but we need to start saying that better. Republicans stood up shamelessly claiming the Democrats had had sympathized with burning down our cities and much greater violence uh, in the riots across the country, as they called them. It's just a big lie. It's as big a lie as that Trump won the election in a landslide, and the evidence points that out. And, but unfortunately, it's not even understood by law enforcement. It's partly why this happened, even, because law enforcement was unprepared, but they would have been prepared if these were African-American protesters, if these were Muslim protesters, you name it, right, Like uh, Latinx protesters. And so we're very dangerous. I think the Democrats, they kept just saying that it was a false equivalency. I think they actually did take it on. I'm sorry. So I, they've, they've improved. It's better than the 1990s with the crime bill. But the Democrats still won't take on that big lie. And so we're in a situation that's very dangerous. I don't think everyone who voted for Trump or still supports him in a poll uh, necessarily is unreachable. There might be 20% that is a fascist core. I'm just, that's based on some opinion research. Uh, and I mean fascist but this is dangerous and it's going to continue to be dangerous. And we have to be careful. A lot of the left is concerned, people's action affiliates and leaders such as myself, our national network, uh, with if we come down too hard on law enforcement, it'll actually get used against black and brown people and not it's intended to be used against. But we do need to remember that uh, the civil war was about insurrection and violence, and it was violence from white that, uh, that destroyed Reconstruction and led to Jim Crow, and it was a raid of terror for over a century. And this is similar to that, and out of unity, because the Republican position was we shouldn't uh, impeach Trump because for unity, unity is why we, we uh, pulled the federal troops and went to Jim Crow um, in the Compromise of 1877, uh the last big uh electoral college controversy that blew up and led to a any any long process like this and we need to remember therefore quite frankly that we all supported that as liberals at the time having federal troops to protect african americans and their rights in the south after the civil war so i don't think we can a lot not prosecute these people and go after them, but we have to be very careful about un, unintended consequences and what happens when you give authorizations and they're used for different purposes. But we could really get an impeachment that'll be a close call. That's a conviction in the Senate that'll be a close call.
0: Look, I, you know, I just think the vote lays bare. Robert, you brought up this just fear, right? And this defines the Trump administration and what essentially, is white nationalist, white supremacist agenda has wrought, right? You have a you have a party that is half afraid for their lives and half afraid politically, right? And because they've created a base, we, we talked about this last week, when we talked about the power behind what's gone on, this is a base that has been revved up by a movement much broader than just Trump, right? And And here's where they are. Right. The base is so large that politically it cannot they cannot separate themselves from it. It is worth pointing out. And I want to give you both an opportunity to comment some more before the break. Again, uh, we see this in Wisconsin. Our Wisconsin delegation was uh, split again uh, along partisan lines. No Republicans voted uh, for impeachment. And, you know, we need to continue to point out uh, a particular Uh, scorn needs to be put on Senator Ron Johnson, who played a leading role in the whipping up. Let's remember, also voted for initially before the uh, storming, uh, was prepared to vote uh, to basically throw out our votes and overturn uh, democracy. Uh, He was joined, obviously, by Tiffany and Fitzgerald, who likewise need scorn brought upon them. Um, This is, I mean, We have some of the uh, worst folks. And later on, I want to talk about the 15 state legislators here in Wisconsin, who uh, now I think Gordon Hintz aptly calls the QAnon caucus, who also supported the overthrow of democracy. Claire, more of your thoughts, particularly if you have any on our Wisconsin delegation of shame.
1: I do. I do. Um, and, uh, you know, I tried to listen to the hearings a bit on Wednesday uh, between meetings just to, to see who was speaking. And I managed to catch um, Congressman Tiffany from the Wisconsin Senate 7th uh, Congressional District, uh, his comments uh, on the floor during the debate. And he made an argument that uh, I've heard a lot of uh, Republicans. Um, and especially electeds make that on its surface feels like it should be a reasonable argument, but is actually just totally gaslighting and um, ignores what really happened. Um, And his argument was, um, you know, our country is crying out for healing right now. And shouldn't we be focused on unity and healing and bringing people together? And how is it, and that's what you, you know, that's what your president-elect said he wants to focus on is healing. And, And how can we heal if Democrats are pushing this this um, this impeachment this is this isn't healing for us um, you know which uh, <laughs> uh, which is 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 such a terrible argument right because we know that it was his president and his party that that caused the wound to you know that that caused the insurrection and the need to respond in the first place right and so you um, that you know that is is a shameful, shameful uh, argument that I'm embarrassed came out of the mouth of one of our Wisconsin uh, representatives, Robert. And,
2: yes, and imagine if we said that Robert E. Lee could return uh, to the armed forces and uh, Confederate President Jefferson Davis could return to the Senate. That is the kind of argument in the spirit of unity, right? And it was the spirit of unity that led to Jim Crow and the hideous compromise of 1877. I think we also need to be aware that there may be saboteurs, as increasing evidence within Congress, that there's this evidence growing that they brought in, there have been no visitor delegations, you know, big visits to the Capitol going on since March because of COVID-19. And there were huge ones brought in of people made up of these people who were part of the protest by Republicans on Tuesday. And multiple Democrats are testifying to that now and calling for an investigation. And there's increasing evidence that the Trump administration and his minions may have actually stood down uh, the police and the military, that this was a plot to make it possible, this sedition in the first place. Uh, so more to come on both of those. But this is getting scarier and scarier. And that's the thing, by the time we get the impeachment trial, there'll be worse and worse things. It looks worse and worse every day.
0: No doubt there's much more uh, that we're going to learn about this in uh, the coming weeks and months. And we're we're obviously going to continue to talk about this, but uh, we got to take a break. You're listening to The Battleground, Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to The Battleground, Wisconsin. We are talking about basically uh, a conservative attack on democracy that's been ongoing Uh, you know one could argue right they've been setting this up for for decades but really hypercharged under the trump administration and then this last week has been chickens coming home to roost robert before the break you were talking about some of the folks who may have been uh, taking the chickens around Congress the day before and sort of laying, uh, preparing to lay siege uh, to Congress. Uh, Clearly, there's going to be more uh, information that's going to come out about some level of collaboration, uh, some level, even if it was uh, being duped and used. But uh, this was much more organized. This was not just some random uh, thing that was happening. This what happened on January 6th, let's be clear, it was an attack on the country by white supremacist right-wing militants, right? And it was essentially treasonous. Robert, I just want to give you one more and opportunity. They're, to they're militias.
2: They're militias. They have a lot of former military types who have been radicalized. They could do reconnaissance. You walk them around the Capitol, that's how they knew how to take it, if this if this proves out. And this is how they knew where to where to go to try to find people like Jim Clyburn and Nancy Pelosi. And Nancy Pelosi's young staff was under a conference table hiding when they were ransacking her office. And they were trying to get into that last room. And I recognized the room. Uh, we had people's action. I led a delegation. We had a meeting with the chief of staff of Nancy Pelosi a year and a half ago. And I remember that room. Well, they were hiding there for two hours. That's how bad it was. Think if they'd broken down the door. And think if they, they they came within a very short amount of time, a minute or two, of actually being able to run into the uh, to Congress and actually take hostages or kill or kill
0: members of Congress. Claire, want to check and see if you have any final thoughts on this before I we move to the state.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think it's important to not underestimate, um, this group of folks. Um, I think it's really easy to look at those, uh, those images and those videos of what happened at the Capitol and, and have it be so far removed from what we would do and what we think is reasonable and from our values, um, and what we deem to be even remotely appropriate that, that you, that is you could just dismiss them and, and say, oh gosh, these people are just, you know, um, you know these people are just acting on impulse, and they're revved up, and 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 not behaving in a um, in a measured or thoughtful way. Um, but in but in fact, um, many of these folks are incredibly thoughtful and deliberate in planning their um, their actions and. Um, I was listening to um, um, a report by the New York Times and they were talking about how, since many of these uh, right-wing conspirators have been banned from traditional social media platforms and places like Parlor have been shut down, that they're moving to um, encrypted channels of conversation um, like through Signal, um, which is a text messaging app, um, and that um, reporters who are able to infiltrate these channels hear reports of them evaluating laws, for example, and saying what, you know, what weapons can we carry across law, uh, across state lines? Um, You know, this, what's legal in one state and isn't legal in another state? And what could we be charged with if we moved a certain type of weapon from here to there and in their planning? So, I mean, you know, folks are being these folks are being incredibly thoughtful and deliberate with their planning. And we, sh- we should not underestimate the amount of um, deliberation and, and planning that to Robert's point is going into, has gone into this past attack and may go co- into future ones.
0: I want to slightly transition to the state and I'm gonna do it by first, just, you know I want our listeners, right? We need to remember this all plays out at home. Right, this all comes back to the state. Apparently, it uh, looks like somebody from Eau Claire is potentially uh, being looked in by the FBI. I'm sure there will be a lot more. But I want to bring up the 15 state legislators who who asked Pence not to certify the election results. Right, like I think it's really important that we not forget. In the same way that Trump fired these folks up, and Ron Johnson fired these folks up, um, we we had not only Ron Johnson and these others and and Trump riling them up, we had 15 Wisconsin state legislators sign on to the idea that Pence should overthrow the election. I agree with Gordon Hintz. This is the, this is our QAnon caucus. We need to remember, right? Like there's, this is still uh, our playing out in our state assembly. And and we saw that a little bit this week. I want to talk about uh, the state of the state. Governor Evers made a state of the state Uh, And really tried to start to lay out a few things. And I wanted to at least give both of you an opportunity if you had any comments or thoughts about the state of the state. Uh, But I do want to talk then later specifically about our COVID relief bill and some stuff around unemployment insurance. Uh, But uh, first, any thoughts on the state of the state, which was Tuesday evening.
1: Yeah, the, um, the state of the state covered three um, broad or four broad areas. Um, of course, Evers talked about what COVID has done to the state. Um, and the, well, I would add the Republicans going on nine months now, lack of response to the pandemic. Um, but also we talked a lot about broadband and wanting to make broadband expansion to rural areas. Um, one of his top priorities in 2021. He also talked a lot about the uh, nonpartisan transparent Redistricting process that he wants to um, have happen this year. Uh, And then he talked a lot about uh, unemployment benefits and things. Um, As a healthcare person, I was, of course, disappointed that there wasn't more in there about uh, healthcare reforms that he is planning to push, um, or maybe a hint into what he might be doing on that front in the budget. Uh, But, you know, in general, um, I would say, you know, I, I guess I can understand why those items and particularly redistricting and COVID would be the focus of, of his uh, speech given that those are going to be dominant issues um, that are going to happen and are unfold over the course of 2021. Um, But yeah, again, disappointed there wasn't more healthcare in the speech.
0: Claire, you're just going to have to wait for that state budget, that scintillating state budget Mm -hmm. speech just around the corner uh, next month. Robert, any thoughts you had on the state of the state?
2: Well, We'll talk more about broadband moving forward. That is critically important. Uh, With COVID, things have gone much more virtual and therefore the rural disparity with urban suburban areas has gotten worse. And the question is going to be, it's a lot more money. How is it structured? Is it just giveaways to telecom, which is always the risk, or does it actually uh, create fair broadband and put it where, where it's lacking. Uh, our rural issue team and the, our Driftless Area Co-op for Citizen Action is working on this issue. And if you're in the Driftless Area, please join, but we're going to be figuring that out. But there's leverage there. And then on, um, on redistricting, I would just remind, well, not to reprise the whole situation in Wisconsin, that gerrymandering has helped cause the situation by, by creating uh, such safe districts that you can have complete QAnon radicals. And those 15 uh, Wisconsin legislators that think we should have a third democracy, that's also partly because of gerrymandering. And, and so that's what we have to think about. Tom Tiffany wouldn't hold that seat if the district had the shape that it had under David Obie, but it was changed for gerrymandering purposes, just for example.
0: Yeah, I just uh, I think that's excellent. I look, I think this has been one of the things Evers has been stronger on, and this whole People's uh, Maps Commission and trying to bring sunshine and make this electoralize this issue. I think he's this has been one of the stronger things the governor has done. And uh, it's very important. Uh, so kudos to him for centering it, because I do think it, it's critical. And it's one of those things that a lot of folks are aware of, but it just doesn't uh, end up being what they vote on. And until we start to change that, we're, we're in a bind. And uh, so him uh, putting public sunshine on this process early ahead of time, super important. Want to get folks' thoughts on what played out in the Senate this week around the COVID-19 relief bill. And for our listeners, uh, just a little quick recap. The Assembly passed a terrible COVID-19 relief bill. We talked about it last week. Garbage, not gonna get into the details. Senate essentially passes a bill that's basically was almost identical to what Evers had proposed. There was some stuff around, uh, some really bad stuff, a poison pill around liability that there was an amendment to weaken it. I don't fully understand the details, but essentially uh, all the Democrats supported. Robert, I know you can get some more details, but we now have the assembly saying they won't support this and they're gonna jam through their garbage bill again. So we have a split. Republican Senate and Assembly on this. And LeMahieu, I want to point out, said, Hey, if we had a Republican governor, maybe different. But the reality on the ground is we got to deal with a Democratic governor. Whoa, this is a different Senate leadership. Oh my gosh.
2: Uh, you have three real positions. You have the QAnon position on COVID, the Assembly position. And now it turns out we have a state Senate and Governor Evers that are much more in the governing wing, but it is cut the baby in half and get what you can, right? Then there's what I would propose that doesn't exist right now, which is uh, Democrats should take a strong position of what we actually need, clarify that to the public, do communication on that, and then build a public firestorm for doing it for both COVID relief and COVID mitigation That is not where Governor Evers's theory of politics is. He is who he is and he's the governor. And so he's been wanting a party to parlay with. And now he's found a state Senate that will parlay, but that still doesn't lead to law because he doesn't have a state assembly that will parlay partly again because of gerrymandering. And so I can go into the details after the break. But I'll tell you what poison pills were taken out, what were still there, and some of the stuff that's important but very kind of marginal that did get through. And House Senator Chris Larson voted against it. And so he's the really one person out there who took the, we should be doing what's necessary here, not just what is some possible compromise.
0: Well, we got to take a break. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. We need to quickly wrap up our conversation. Robert, I know you had a few more comments around uh, this fissure. And then Claire, I want to get your thoughts on uh, the situation around this COVID bill. Robert.
2: I'll just give you the top lines on, um on how the Senate differs from the Assembly here and therefore Evers could agree with them they modified the liability shields which are very heinous these would uh, create impunity right for uh, for for willful disregard for the health of employees and customers uh they uh they they limited it to say that you know, the original version was gross it said you could violate state local and federal public health standards and it would not be considered reckless that was taken out. So in other words, you could still be sued, but you'd have to be shown to be reckless. And uh, obviously, whether you followed state uh, public health standards could be, come into play. So it's more limited, but it's still not good. Uh, they did not do the ban on uh, requiring vaccinations by employers uh, or, this, or the governor being able to uh, require mandatory vaccinations in some circumstances or public health authorities. And they did not give them authority, for example, uh, give away their authority to to prevent, say, to have capacity limits for businesses or to forbid uh, public authorities limiting uh, public gatherings, like at, at places of worship. And in addition, they did not give legislative oversight of everything the governor did over to the legislature. So those were useful, and Governor Evers would get out of it $100 million, which obviously would save some lives but it's obviously just a very small part of what you need. It's a down payment and it won't become law anyway because of the
0: assembly. Claire.
1: Uh, I yeah I agree that uh, with with everything Robert said um, I would add that I am I'm hopeful that um, this means that the only power struggle in the legislature or in state government right now will not be just between Robert Robin Voss and Tony Evers but that maybe now there'll be a little bit of a power struggle between Lima Hugh and Voss um, and that um, this you know this could indicate that the Senate Caucus. Uh, caucuses both in general might be willing to work with each other and that they also might be willing to work with the governor, which is a start. Um, it's it certainly, as Robert said, isn't going to lead to law necessarily, but it's better than we had in the 2019 to 2020 legislative cycle. Um, and it gives me a little bit of hope heading into the budget season, you know, maybe there's a glimmer of hope for some things that we could uh, compromise on and, and try to accomplish in the budget. Um, Of course, it's not nearly and I know I'm being optimistic and hopeful. I just I feel like I need to be hopeful because I just don't want to go through another two years of getting absolutely nothing done. So I'm choosing to take a sunny outlook on this great
0: day. Claire, I think Claire, you're right on. I think this demonstrates that there it's it will be a bit different. Now, I want to temper the excitement over the differences, but it does show that there's something different. There is no way in hell Fitzgerald would have agreed to this. Come on, he's one in the QAnon Congress right now. Um, I think it's important. I think it should give us some optimism that public pressure might be able to lead to some type of different dynamic where Evers could do some things that uh, last cycle in the budget chose not to. So we'll see, we shouldn't get too optimistic. Uh, We don't have too much time to get into it because our guest is with us and I wanna get to that. Uh, right away. But before we do, I do want to point out, right, like Evers did float that he wants to do a special session on unemployment insurance in terms of fixing our unemployment insurance system here in Wisconsin. Uh, we're talking about $5 million he's talking about to do that. And and the Republicans basically told him to pound sand and uh, that he could find money from existing resources and that they're just going to gavel that thing in and out next week on Tuesday. But uh, so let's not... I, we don't want to kid ourselves, things haven't radically changed, but this did show an opening, so we wanted to make sure we talked about that. With that, we are fortunate to have our a guest, our only guest, and uh, he's someone we've had on before, and that's Raphael Smith. Uh, Raphael uh, Smith is with us here at Citizen Action. Raphael, it's great to have you join us. Uh, welcome. Good to be back. Good to be back. Hello, so, everybody. Yeah, yeah. So, look, we've had you on because you're leading uh, an amazing effort here uh, in Milwaukee uh, County and city around uh, Green New Deal Task Force and, you know, uh, launching statewide campaigns. But we wanted to have you on today because there's some really big news, positive news potentially, around what could happen uh, in the early on in the Biden administration, around Green New Deal, uh, and, and the idea that there's going to be major COVID relief, we know uh, Biden has already said that's uh, going to be something he wants to do right away, and 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 that relief is going to look a lot like massive stimulus, and that there is a potential if we make a push that we could actually get. Uh, so a major piece of uh, legislation around a federal jobs program that could be really important. Uh, first of all, Rafi, thanks for joining us and really appreciate it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, this is very exciting.
3: Yeah, it is. Definitely is. And it's been a long journey and relatively, right? So. Uh, when we first created um, the Milwaukee City County Task Force on Climate and Equity, uh, I remember having conversations. And one of the things that we wanted to do is to have stuff at scale. And we really looked at history. Um, it was the And we pulled from the New Deal, right? And we pulled from the WPA and the CCC. And one of the big things that we really envisioned was a jobs program very similar to those programs. And... <sighs> That was uh, yeah, it was just a huge goal of ours. And this past June or July, we really got traction because Tammy Baldwin in the Senate had sent a letter a, Senate, uh, uh, a letter to Senate leadership uh, at the point in time it was Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer, and it was around funding for a transitional jobs program to be put into the next COVID relief package. And we really put a huge push behind it. And we had a meeting with Gwen Moore's office, and they were completely excited about the idea. And we got some traction then, but as you know, the COVID relief package never came to be, politics whatever. Um, but one of the great things that came out of that meeting was Gwen Moore office created an identical bill uh, as the Senate bill, and uh, excuse me, let me back up a little bit. Um, the Senate bill was sponsored by Tammy Baldwin, but it was four other senators. Um, it was Cory Booker, uh, Von Holland, um, Bennett from Colorado, and I know I'm missing one. Um, uh- Wyden from Wyden, Oregon, Wyden and Wyden, and we went into the meeting when Gwen Moore told about the bill and her office created an identical bill at the House, right? And I'm not just saying this because he's on a phone call and he happens to be my supervisor, but
2: <laughs> this was,
3: <laughs> but this was this was conversations that Robert had early on. Me and Robert had early on in 2020, which is if we lined it up correctly, um, and if it was a change in the White House, we can be best prepared to benefit from that. And get the resources that's desperately necessary for our community, and (laughs) yeah, it lined up. Here we go. go. Early early lined up, and uh, so yeah, we are now in the um, midst of yeah being able to get a real big to scale traditional jobs program into the next COVID relief package.
0: So for, I'm going to get to Robert on some, some more of the details, but Rafi, what I just want to underscore here, what I think is super important is this is, this was prepared for you you because of good organizing and a plan here at the city, preparing for a day when we might have this opportunity where we have a president who's willing to make major investments yeah, in a yeah, green yeah. new deal. So uh, that's really important, really important about this. No, yeah.
3: Yeah. Completely and totally. Uh, again, this is something we've been talking about for at least a year and a half now, or yeah, at least a year and a half now. And I give a lot of credit to uh, the members of the task force, uh, Robert Craig, to have this vision that just not like everybody, you know, in environmental work, sometimes you can get very narrow in what you think is possible, just, just based on like years of organizing and you develop a certain skill set to a certain uh, type of policy. But our big thing was to think at scale and think at Big as possible and bold as possible, and we lined ourselves up to take advantage of this opportunity.
0: So, so Robert, tell us more, a little bit about some of the details, the policy, and what what's possible and why this is possible. And then we're, we'll we'll go over through a break, and then on the back end, Rafi, I want to talk more with you about like the organizing aspect. Like this is a huge opportunity for us to start to organize folks around this, and we'll talk more about that. Robert, you have two minutes. To, to give us some of the details just from a policy background to elaborate on it, if, if you could.
2: Uh, in addition to what Rafi laid out and Rafi is underselling his role. I honestly believe Gwen Moore isn't pushing this hard. We didn't have any house strategy without Rafi. So this is where organizers come in. But in addition to that, uh, we have a public policy institute in Milwaukee, the Community Advocates Public Policy Institute, that's been working along these lines for a very long time. Has some great policy folks, Julie Kirksick, David Reamer, Connor Williams, and uh, we're we're good friends with them. Mm-hmm. And they had already gotten some traction in the Senate and built the policy framework and gotten an idea that you need this level of structural change in order to improve racial equality, that you can't do it just by having standard development like Democrats and Republicans have done for decades. And what's really exciting before I get into details is Ron Wyden, Senator a chair of Senate Finance Committee, is the driver in the Senate. So Tammy is handed off because he has more leverage. And Gwen Moore and Danny Davis, the congressman, famous congressman from Chicago, who's the lead because he's more senior than Gwen Moore, they've gotten Richie Neal, the very Democrat and sort of head of Ways and Means, the critical uh, committee chair, on board. And we're in the middle of full court press to try to get this into the Biden transition team. And it is permanent. I'll go into the details after the break. It'll be a permanent part of the Social Security Act, which makes it like the New Deal, which put Permanent elements in temporary relief. That is the New Deal, Franklin Delano Roosevelt model. That's what this is based on.
0: Well, our old deal is we got to go to a break. We'll follow up on this with Robert and Rafi right after this break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are talking about potentially groundbreaking, very exciting, big federal jobs program that could be possible. Uh, in the first 100 days, big push around stimulus around COVID. Robert, tell us more about some of the details.
2: This has a strikingly good chance, and we'll be telling you a lot more, Rafi, leading this statewide, how members can be involved and other people, allies, everyone. Uh, but what's exciting is this fits into Joe Biden's agenda. This is a New Deal-like jobs program, modernized because he's been talking about wanting to be like FDR since April, repeatedly. And uh, in addition, um, it would be permanent, part of the Social Security Act. And what it would do is it would guarantee every state federal money to create a public jobs program. And they're called, Rossi talked about transitional jobs. Transitional jobs is a new way of thinking about the 1930s style jobs programs in that a transitional jobs program doesn't just put people to work it trains them to go into the private sector and the folks who are locked out of the economy they need that level of help they need a job first of all you can't just say go to community college and in addition they need to a place of last resort if they don't immediately get one and this allows for those mechanisms. And what it does is, if we're trying to, what Rafi and I have been focused, if we could create an equitable workforce of people locked out the economy, people in rural areas, black and brown people, formerly incarcerated people. Uh, there are plenty of poor white people as well who are locked out of the economy. That's not a big a portion of white people, but a big number of people. Right? Uh, this is the one thing that would improve those racial equity numbers, those economic equity numbers and this would make it entitlement so any state could do it, and it becomes even better as your unemployment rate goes up. So it actually encourages this even more when there's high unemployment, and it would be part of COVID relief, and then it would be permanent. It's in the Social Security Act, and it wouldn't even have to be authorized every year by Congress. Social Security does not, so it would be a permanent feature. It's like adding unemployment insurance, something that's very permanent, to our federal structure, but it's a public jobs program. This is an incredible game changer, and we have a legit chance to do it. And uh, Rafi and I are just thrilled to be even a part of this, since we had Mm -hmm. to be part of a lot of other stuff. And Tammy Baldwin has worked on this a long time, so she deserves a great deal of credit. And Gwen Moore moved quickly to get this moving in the house where there was no traction until Gwen took it on.
0: So, You say move quickly. If this thing's going to move quickly, it will move very quickly in the first 100 days. Rafi, you have obviously been, we've been heavily involved here in the Milwaukee area, but you have been strategically working to build uh, statewide, particularly through a number of our regional organizing co-ops. Talk more about if someone's listening to this and they're like, hell yeah, I've been waiting for this campaign. (laughs) I've been waiting for this. This is why I worked hard to elect President Biden and do what we did. How can they like get involved? What are your thoughts on f- folks listening and what we need to do to make a big push to make this a reality? Yeah. Um, let me just piggyback on something Robert talked about too, about the pathways
3: uh and pipelines and back into the the private economy. That is just so important. Uh I could just speak as an African-American male that's been in that situation before in my life where look, I didn't I didn't have a jump shot, I didn't rap, and I, you know what I mean, like. And I didn't really have that many options out after high school, right? And I remember being a 23-year-old man, like, what do I do next? And not having uh, any vision or opportunity I felt like back into the economy. So this is a huge opportunity to do that, you know, and uh, that's what leads my work. That's what I love to do, and that's what I'm, my ambition is. Um, when it comes to organizing, right, and how you can, um, you can get involved, look, if you're going to get anything like this done, you need... The inside game, right? And that's what we're doing. But we need a base of people placing in demand on the of people in power to actually get it, right? So currently, like we have. Six, I mean, four of our uh, co-op organizers are developing climate, local climate action plans. And this can be a part of that process too. So one of the first things you can do is reach out and contact your, your local organizer, your regional organizer and tell them like you heard on the podcast that this bill is coming through and you're interested in building a team around it. That That's something that you do. We also want people to join our uh, statewide climate issue team as well. So that's something that you can also do um, is reach out to your organizer around that as well. House meetings, right? Is another thing you can do. And it's a very short turnaround, but if you're really interested, there's something else you can do. And you can make calls to your uh, United States Congressperson and Senate around this issue, right? So um, those are some of the ways you can get involved uh, in the process.
0: Robert, any uh, further yeah. thoughts specific? Yeah.
2: Yep. Yeah, let's quick uh, give everyone their bill numbers, right? So their, their actual bills with bill numbers.
0: Oh my uh, God! We might be governing. Holy smokes! Did you hear that? Did you hear that, Wisconsin? Governing might be occurring. Isn't that amazing? No, I don't believe it. I'm glancing
2: down, and by the way, you can go to the Citizen Action Wisconsin website to sign up with uh, and find all the information on the regional organizing co-ops Rafi was just talking about and getting involved. But this is called. This was called. In other words, it'll get new numbers potentially next. Session, but right now it is the Jobs for Economic Recovery Act, and in the Senate it is Senate, you know, S four one zero seven. Senator Ron Wyden is the lead, then Tammy Baldwin, and the other senators that um, like Van Hollen, uh, Bennett, and Booker that uh, Rossi mentioned, and then the House version is H R eighty five zero nine, same title, the Jobs for Eco- Economic Recovery Act. Uh, uh, led by Congressman Danny Davis. The second is Congresswoman Gwen Moore. And uh, the Biden transition team is the other people to contact, as we have. We have an official letter. We have support from the mayor of Milwaukee, a whole lot of other people, Mayor, mayor Barrett. Uh, but we we and community advocates have a joint letter to the Biden transition. And we're trying to get it in in every way possible. And so is Senator Baldwin
3: and Congresswoman Moore. And also, can I, Matt, before uh, I'd like to say, yeah, I just wanna just say like uh, the work that Julie Kirksick and uh, David Reamer is doing at Community Advocates at Public Policy Institute has been incredible, you know, and it's been such a joy to work with them on this process. Uh, Without that hard work, we wouldn't be nowhere close as we are to getting something real substantial into the next COVID relief package.
0: No, that's that's well taken, Uh, Robert.
2: And I was gonna say, this is now, you know we're gonna have impeachment Probably McConnell won't take it up. So right at inauguration, they plan to do this and COVID relief at the same time. So folks, this is now, and as much we're trying really hard with our state agenda. It's in action. We had a good meeting with Governor Evers last week, but in a bizarre way, this permanent public jobs program of a New Deal scale is much closer to a reality than any of the things we're working on with Governor Evers. So it's shocking to even I can tell you, because I've been doing this a couple of decades, to be involved in something at this level that at this level right this is like the kind of stuff if it's done that'll be in history books and uh, that's why anything you can do and you want to join one of our organizing co-ops work with our organizers work with rafi that, i mean my god this is like a huge opportunity i can't understate it and rafi talked about in his Lyft experience how important it would be to actually do something about racial equality for example like this could do and make the green economy and racial equality Occur together, the climate transition occur with a reckoning about real racial equality. This is like could be a huge step in that direction.
3: It's life changing stuff, and that's not to over, that's not hyperbole. It really is life changing stuff. It's so many times that you feel as a poor person or a person who didn't take the traditional routes in the economy that you're you have no pathways back into it, and um, for this for it to be a permanent program something that is attached to Social Security and we know how permanent that has been in our country. This is this is life changing, right? And this is something that we can actually get done. And it's, uh, yeah, this is, it takes the cynic out of you, right? That we actually see the process of co-governing work at not just a, a local level, but at a, a national level. And it's been a, a pleasure to be a part of the process.
0: Look, folks, this is gonna take a push. Um, I'm super thrilled that Rafi was able to come on today and we could take the time to talk about this in the middle of what at some times can seem surreal in terms of just uh, the dysfunction. Uh, But the reality is, right, we talked about this. We're well aware nothing that's going on that that's swirling us is shocking, right? We know why it's happening. So to have something like this to center on and to focus on something positive that we can actually do, it's real. Uh, there are a lot of places, right, where folks feel completely like there's no hope, right? And uh, to have a, a guaranteed federal guaranteed jobs program where you feel like there's a shot where you could maybe be connected to the to the real economy, right? Like, Absolutely critical. We're going to continue to talk more about this uh, going forward, uh, because as this gets very real, but it's go time. Uh, So we want you to uh, be reaching out to your uh, congressional members and encouraging them to support, again, S4107 and HR8509. Uh, but we'll talk more about this in the future uh, shows. This is really important. Rafi, I want to thank you a ton for coming on uh, on short notice, but also for uh, leading this whole program. Really appreciate it.
3: That's no problem, man. Thank you for having me as a guest. And uh, yeah, I, mean, is, I can't just uh, reiterate enough how big this is and how much of an opportunity we have to do something big that will not just make an impact on this generation, but generations in the future. And you don't get that a lot in this uh, and what we do. So well, let's, go make, a, history, let's yeah, go make history folks.
0: Let's go make we, history. We got a huge chance. We may have to have the Rafi corner uh, going forward uh, on this podcast, just to update on this. This is going to move in real time and we're going to stay on top of it. With that though, we got to wrap up this show We're we are out of time. Uh, again, Raphael Smith, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, everyone uh, let's, let's, let's uh, reach out to our Congress folks and let's support this stuff. We'll see you next week at the Battleground, Wisconsin.